You got it? Before I read the scripture, I would like to just say one thing about growing up in Riverside. Well, there go my sermon notes. We might have a comedy of errors this morning, but we'll work with it. Uh, Growing up in Riverside, I remember as we were processing uh, down the center aisle, we used to do that when I was a little guy and sang in the junior choir. We used to have these nice little uniforms, choir robes, red bottoms, fluffy white tops. It was great. And uh, after you'd uh, process up there, I probably was in the second or third grade, sing the song, then you'd realize we're up here for a long time. (laughs) The answer was comic books. All you had to do is take the comic book, hide it in your robe, and then sit where Mr. Pearson or Dr. Kisling could not see you. What can I say about my spiritual growth? I learned to read comic books. It's a confession. What can I say? (laughs) The Word of God. Hear now the Word of God, if I can find my glasses. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with the garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride in the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messenger, fire and Flame are your ministers. You set the earth on its foundation so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and you you rebuked them, and they fled. As the sound of your thunder, they take flight. They rise up to the mountains and run out to the valleys. You set a boundary, and they may not pass it. You make springs gush forth in valleys, and they flow through the hills. On and on and on, the psalmist talks about the glory and the goodness of God. And we'll return to this. Thanks be to God. Amen. Riverside has always had a wonderful, wonderful music program. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Before I preach, I'd like to tell you one other uh, Riverside story that's a a little bit uh, different than about me sneaking comic books into the chancel. Uh, This was six years ago. I was up in the uh, mountains of North Georgia uh, with eight or nine uh, volunteer leaders for Young Life, some great, great young folks, and we had 50 deaf and blind kids up at camp, and we all were having a blast. It was wonderful. 
And uh, I got a phone call from Bill Hoff. And Bill said, Les, we've lost Michelle. And everybody knows Michelle, one of the most wonderful youth leaders everywhere. She went up to Myers Park Church and he said, we have not had much luck uh, finding anybody else. Could you help? And I said, maybe. Let me think about it some. And hung up and went to go play with my kids. And uh, that afternoon, I was walking with uh, three or four of the young people that were working with these kids. And uh, I asked one of them, uh, one that I particularly thought was gifted with young people, I said, well, what are you doing this summer? Figuring she'd already, she's very gifted, I figured she already had great employment. She said, no, I'm going to go home to Melbourne, and I'm going to spend time with my family looking for work. I said, really? What would you think about working with young people at a church? The young people are incredible at this church. The adults, uh, that's another story. I said, you know, the adults might consider you being good enough if you were Mother Teresa or St. Francis, something like that. You might be good enough for their kids. I said, you think you could work with adults like that? And she thought for 30 seconds and said, sure, I could do that. I thought, yeah, I bet you could. She sure could. And uh, so, okay, I said, let me think about this a little bit more. And the next day I gave Bill a call and I said, Bill, I think I have somebody that you ought to talk to. He said, okay, who is that? And I said, her name is Brianna Souter. And, uh, and he called her. And you folks know the rest. Through a process, Brianna, the elders here, kids, listen to God. And Brianna came to be your youth person here at Riverside. Six years ago, six years plus. Brianna is a wonderful, amazing, gifted young woman. She's loved your kids. She's loved your families. She's been involved in the life of this church. I am so grateful for what she's done here. And you are too, I'm sure. I'd like to ask something of you. Um, I don't know that I've ever made a request like this from the pulpit before, but I'd like you to consider this. I'd like you to consider the next time Brianna comes to you and says, would you help with whatever? That you would not just hear Brianna's voice, but you would hear the voice of God saying to you, it's time to help. It's time to care for the kids in this church. It's time to really get involved. And I just ask you to listen for God's voice in Brianna's voice. That's what I ask. That's it. That's it. Listen. You know God wants something special for the youth, the kids and the youth in this church. Maybe you're supposed to be a part of that. Amen. Never done that before. But I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Time to preach. I want to tell you, begin with a story about my dad, who was a wonderful, playful, fun, 
amazing father. But the whole time he was growing up, the, whole, the later part of his life, he was affected by the depression. And I heard, my brother and I both heard story after story after story how life was hard for people who had so little during the Depression. During the 70s, probably a few of you remember, a few small banks in Tennessee went under. My dad immediately ran out, bought these huge PVC pipes, and filled them with silver and gold and buried them in our backyard because he didn't want his family to be without when everything collapsed. Well, my brother and I were older until we realized that, in fact, my dad grew up very wealthy. He, the, he lived outside of Chicago on what he called a farm, which was an estate. It was huge. We went by and visited a while back. When he and his father and his brother went out to hunt in Canada, they had their own railroad boxcar with sleeping quarters and refrigerators in it, so if they shot birds, they could put them there. They went fishing in Montana. They had the same kind of deal. My dad uh, went to prep school, and when he finished prep school, he was able to talk his father into uh, sending him to Spain for a year just to play, just to goof off. And yet, my dad, as long as I knew him, lived with a mentality of scarcity and fear that the Comey family wasn't going to have enough. Pass that on to my brother and I. Me more than my brother. I was the older. But uh, it's just one, one of the things we got. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, professor of Columbia Seminary, has done some wonderful work for people like me uh, who live out of fear sometimes and have read the book of Genesis. Chapter 1 of Genesis, the Bible begins with a story of, for praise of God's abundance. It's a, it's a wonderful story and the song of God's generosity. Uh, when I'm aware of reading Genesis 1, uh, God keeps saying, it was good. It was good. The earth created it. It was good. Birds, land, animals, water. It was good. It was good until it got to humankind and then it was very good. It's a picture of abundance and God's generosity. And now, after all that work, God left the office, had to take a rest, went wherever God goes when God leaves the office and takes a rest. And so we get a Sabbath day, or we get the Lord's day. We get to rest. We get to pray. We get to worship. After a hard week's work, when Israel rests and worships and prays and they celebrate God's abundance, they do it one way reading Psalm 109 that I just read to you folks. Read 104. Read it over. Read it over. It's just marvelous. And it ends in verse 37 with saying that every breath we have comes from God. Every breath. Now, if you were my college students, and I was right in the middle of a lecture sometimes, I'd fake them out, and I'd just say, okay, everybody stop. So I want you to stop. You're going to be my college students right now? 
I want to see some head shaking. I'm looking. Get Bill Howie over there. I don't know that he's, oh, he's listening. Okay. I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a deep breath because the Hebrew word for breath, ruah, is the same word for spirit. And every time you breathe, you're breathing in life, God's spirit. So I'm going to let you rest for one minute right now during class, we'll say, or you right there. I want you to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, please. It's God's spirit you're breathing in. God is the great respirator. So the next time you're tight and taut and spread out, take a deep breath. It's a gift from God. God wants to renew you. Well, Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham and Sarah and blesses them. And the awareness of that blessing dominates Genesis all the way to chapter 47. All that time, blessing, blessing, blessing. Then in chapter 47, you know what happens. Pharaoh has this dream about there being a famine. And so Pharaoh puts together a team to organize and control the grain supply of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh introduces the idea of scarcity into the world's economy. Blessing, abundance, generosity. Pharaoh, scarcity. My dad heard that word. There's plenty of scarcity in my dad's theology. Maybe yours, I don't know. Joseph then leads his team, first buys all the grain in Egypt, then all the animals, then the land, and then in verse 19, here's what the Egyptians say, we will sell ourselves to the king. People are going to sell themselves to be able to survive to the king. Okay, hop over to the beginning of Exodus. You know what goes on here too. People of Israel in bondage, and they face the same struggles that all of us face. Are we going to believe paradigm one, God's goodness, God's generosity, God's giftedness, God's blessing? Are we going to believe that paradigm? Or are we going to believe the paradigm of Pharaoh? The world has only got a few resources. Hold on to them. Control them. Keep them tight. The paradigm of scarcity. Inside me, both those paradigms compete all the time. I'm a Christian minister. I've studied so much about God's blessing and gifting. Still in two, uh, uh, 2007, when we had the banking crisis, and I lost 40% of my pension, and I bet you a bunch of you did the same thing, lost a lot. We lost 20% of our Young Life staff in Florida, and I'd lay in bed at night thinking, oh, goodness. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, goodness. My scarcity mentality was winning. So, 
Consecration Sunday. Here we are. Steve and David did not ask me to talk about grain supplies. They just didn't. That, that wasn't on their agenda. So I want to change direction a little bit. And I want you to consider the challenge of living with these two paradigms, and I want you to consider it indirectly. So here's what I'd like us to do. Well, let me just read something first. Dr. Christine Fowle, who is a very special New Testament professor and ethicist, Methodist, still, she's amazing, even being a Methodist, what can we say, talks about the uh, early Christian community for the first three centuries being primarily characterized by two words, love and hospitality. Her book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition, is worth every one of us reading, having small groups with, pondering over. It's just a really great book. Let me read you something from that book, she says. She believes that then and now, when the Christian church practices hospitality, it becomes the infused spirit of Christ. Let me read that again. She believes that then, as now, when the Christian church practices hospitality, it becomes infused with the spirit of Christ. You know what? That's not new to you. You know that. I grew up in this church. You know that already. Maybe you wouldn't say that theological statement, but in your heart of hearts, you know it. If I were going to talk about sacraments at Riverside, here's what I'd talk about. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and hospitality. That's who you live out. But I'd like to ask you something else. I'd like you to consider focusing your hospitality, and I'd like you to consider first focusing your hospitality on your family. Everybody in here is busy. Everybody in here needs more time. Everybody in here has more things on their plate than they can do. But here's what I want. I'd like you to consider having more meals each week with your family. I will confess I failed at this. When I was uh, just beginning the ministry, or I, I don't know, maybe been 10 years into ministry, and uh, one night I was having to travel. One night I had my suitcase on the end of my bed, packing it up like I had to every Sunday night to go wherever I needed to go next. And my little five-year-old came in, looked at the suitcase, did not say a word, and teared up and walked out of the room. You know what I knew? I knew I'd been blowing it. I'd been, I'm a minister and blowing it with my family. Well, I hope you don't. I hope you will take time to eat meals together with your family. Our college kids, where my wife and I teach at Flagler, we teach in different, different areas, 
but we ask all the time about eating together and what it means to kids. And most of the kids will say this, we were so angry at our moms and dads when we had to eat, when we were in middle school, when we had to eat together in middle school and high school, we were so upset. And now, now, we miss it. We want it. We hunger to get home and be with our family. Wow. Wow. There are a group of about nine or ten amazing, wonderful uh, young women in St. Augustine who finished college. They were doing their thing professionally, and they were missing their families. So two or three women said, we're going to have food at our house. Come on over. And they started this hospitality thing for young women. And there's about nine or ten women, and they just don't miss because that's their family. And somebody took the time and the energy and the time to say, we want something for you. We want something for you. Hospitality is always sacrificial. And the thing probably at Riverside you will have to sacrifice is your time. Just an idea. Next story. 30 years ago, the Comeys lived behind an unnamed family because they won't let me use their name in Riverside. And in the middle 80s, that family began to have these little bonfires in their backyard. Craziest thing. We didn't do that in Avondale when I was growing up. We didn't have these bonfires in your backyard. Well, they were. They'd have these bonfires. You know, and it first started out around the bonfires was people like us, like, I mean, like white folks who were like, maybe middle-class-ish. Well, that's how they started. And then kids from the neighborhood started coming. They were a little different. The kids right across the street, both their parents were in prison. They weren't in jail. They were in prison. And they started coming over. And they started sitting around the fire. And all we do is watch the fire. How cool is that? And talk. You know? And talk. And then someday, somebody began bringing a little food, and we'd just talk some more. And you know what started happening? A kid here or a kid there, and there were Riverside Presbyterian people around this fire. A kid here and a kid there ended up with a job. Some of them started getting tutored. A couple of them had money magically appear so they could go to college. It wasn't a program. It was a dad burn fire pit. What can you say? God will use what you offer to the Lord. Fire pit hospitality. It's still happening. You know what happened last night in Springfield? Mary Elizabeth and Nathan Valentine had first or second or third Springfield fire. Now I just like to say Maybe you'd like to be a part of that. There, you can be at the part of the Riverside Fire Pit. If you've got a log or a little food, or if you've got more than that, an open heart, you can be a part of beginning, getting going that new fire pit hospitality in Springfield. You know, Riverside Presbyterian Church 
is a seed bed for hospitality. I know I'm looking out right there, and I won't point at them again. 20 years ago, she and a bunch of folks started working at the Salzbacher Center. And then there's desk, and then there's eye care, and then there's making loans to Haiti. Then there was the educational center and housing in Brooklyn. And I could go on and on and on because you folks understand the sacrifice to be hospitable to maybe some folks that don't have what we have. Tradition house. Here's what I'd like to say. Riverside Presbyterian Church, bless you. Bless you. You've heard of God's abundance. You've been involved with God's abundance and you haven't held on to it. You've given it away. Bless you. You understand hospitality. Amen. Thank you.